0: Thank you for being with us this morning in person or online. I love you and I appreciate you so very much. Let me ask you you this question Are you confident? Are you confident that you are in a right relationship with God? Are Are you confident that you stand justified before God? Are you confident that you are in what we would call a saved relationship with God? And if the answer is yes to that question, and I hope that the answer is yes to that question, if it is yes, on what basis are you confident? So if somebody said, are you confident that you're right with God? And you said, yes, I'm, I'm confident that I'm right with God. And then they asked the important question, maybe even just as important as the first question, why why are you confident on what basis are you confident because i've asked that question to a lot of christians over the years especially when i did youth ministry and i have to be super honest with you i have been disappointed most of the time i've asked that question because most of the time that someone responds yes i'm confident And then I ask them, why are you confident? The answer that they give me is not aligned with the good news of Jesus Christ. The answer that they give me is not aligned with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They say, yes, they're confident. And I say, why are you confident? Why are you confident that you're saved? Why are you confident that you're justified? Why are you confident that you're right with God? And then they give me an answer that tells me that their confidence is misplaced. So here's how I want to begin this morning. Many Christians have no confidence, that's some of us, many Christians have no confidence or have misplaced confidence about their justification. So I just kind of want us to sit with that idea for a second. Many of us, when we're asked that first question, are you confident that you're right with God? Sadly, our answer would be, no, I'm not confident. I don't. I don't know whether or not I'm right with God. Maybe we, quote unquote, hope, and that's not the biblical way of using the word hope, but maybe we hope we're right with God. Maybe we have some wishful thinking that we're right with God. Maybe we say, you know, I I don't know for sure, but maybe I am. So there are a lot of us that have no confidence in our justification, and there are others who are confident, but our confidence is misplaced, misplaced, confidence I want all of us leaving here today with confidence but not just confidence rightly placed confidence having confidence in the right things the right one I want us leaving here not with no confidence and not with misplaced confidence but to have the right sort of confidence you want that as well I think that's encouraging, isn't it? But we have to begin again, one last time, with one of Jesus' uncomfortable stories. So if we're going to get to the place where we have the right sort of confidence in our justification, then then we have to listen to Jesus rebuke us, challenge us, admonish us with one of his uncomfortable story. So if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Thankfully, Luke gives us some context here, and he kind of explains to us why Jesus is telling this story. But you have to understand that that part of the context wasn't present for the original audience. They were just hearing the story. They didn't hear Luke explain this. So you get the benefit of Luke explaining, this is why Jesus tells this story. Story. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So there's two problems here, right? Two problems. The first problem is what? That they trusted in whom? Themselves. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous, that they were right with God. That they were doing what was right, and they were being who was right, and that they were in a right relationship with God. They were keeping covenant with God, and that they were, they were justified in his sight. That they were not guilty in the sight of God. And they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And then secondly, they treated others with what, church? Contempt. They treated others with contempt. They looked down on other people and they said, well, they're not righteous. They're not right with God. They're not keeping covenant with him. They are not justified in his sight. They are guilty in the sight of God. I am innocent in the sight of God. They are guilty in the sight of God. And so Jesus tells this story specifically for the people that are doing this kind of Now, maybe you and I think, well, I don't do that sort of thing. Hold on, don't let yourself off the hook too quickly. Okay, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, again, Jesus loves these stories about stark contrast, right? Extreme contrast, two people who couldn't be more different. On the one hand, you have a Pharisee, Now, the Pharisees were a group of Jewish people who for over a hundred years, probably, had really separated themselves from the compromisers in Israel. The the word Pharisee means separate one. And so they had separated themselves from those who had compromised with with the Greek culture. And there was a lot of compromising going on. And the compromising was wrong. And and these compromisers were adopting Greek culture and were rejecting the the way of of Moses, were rejecting the law and the prophets, and they weren't doing what was right. And so the Pharisees stood in opposition to them and separate from them and said, we are going to remain pure, we're going to keep the law, we're going to do what God has called us to do, we're going to listen to the prophets, we're going to be the people that God has called us to be. And we listen to that we say, well, that... That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And that's pretty admirable, isn't it? These are religious people. If you had lived at this time and you were a religious person and you had heard this story that Jesus was telling about a Pharisee and a tax collector, you would automatically associate with, identify with the Pharisee. Even if you yourself weren't a Pharisee, you would say, well, that's the good guy in the story. And the tax collector is the bad guy in the story. If you had never heard this story before and you were living in first century Israel, you would have thought the Pharisee is for sure the good guy. That's the one I want to associate with. And the tax collector, he's the bad guy. Well, who were the tax collectors? Don't think IRS agent. That's not a good equivalent, okay? So, because Israel was living under Roman oppression, Think more, like, think more like France, occupied France during World War II. And then think about occupied France during World War II if there was a French citizen who allied themselves with the Nazis in order not just to collect taxes for the Nazis, but to line their own pockets with the money and resources of their fellow Frenchmen. If you were a Frenchman, how would you feel about someone like that? So Rome was occupying Jerusalem, was occupying Judea, was occupying Israel, and had them under their thumb. And these tax collectors were Jewish men who signed up to collect taxes for the Romans. And not only were they collecting taxes for the Romans, they were shaking people down for as much as they could possibly get. You might be traveling down the road. If you were a farmer, you might have a a wagon load of goods and you'd be traveling down the road and one tax collector with the power of the Roman army would stop you and take all of your goods and your wares out of your wagon and they would assess how much it was and how much you owed them to cross the next bridge. And then you would go a little bit further, and maybe there was another tax collector. It didn't matter that you just got shook down by the last guy. You might get shaken down again, and they're going to take even more from you. This was a job that people said, if you, if you go to work for the Romans like this, you are out. You're out of, our, out of our nation. You're out of our family. We don't want to have anything to do with you. You, you are not one of us. If you would treat your fellow Jewish brothers and sisters this way, you're not one of us. So what sort of people do you think would sign up for such a despicable job? Despicable kind of people, right? That say, I don't care. You can reject me if you want to. I don't care. I don't care if you you accept me in your family. I don't care if you don't accept me at synagogue. I don't care if you want to listen to me or whatever. I'm going to get rich by working for the Romans. And these were the kinds of people who became tax collectors. And so Jesus is telling a story where there's a Pharisee who says, I want to do the will of God. I want to be obedient to God. I want to remain pure and remain separate from those who compromise with the world. And then another person who says, I just want to get rich. And I'm going to rob as many people and take advantage of as many people as possible, and I'm going to get rich, and it's okay if I'm supporting the enemy of my people because I'm getting rich in the process. And these two men are going up into the temple to pray. Again, if you're listening to this story for the first time, it's a no-brainer, right? It's a no-brainer of who's the good guy here, and who's the bad guy here. Jesus says, verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, if you're a first century Jew and you're listening to this and you're identifying with the Pharisee, you're saying, all this stuff that he's listing that's good, right? It's good that he's not an extortioner. Or extortioner. It's good that he's not unjust. It's good that he's not an adulterer. It's good that he's not a tax collector. What's he saying? God, thank you. Thank you that I don't lie, and I don't steal, and I don't cheat. I don't commit sexual immorality. I, I fast. I give. I do what I'm supposed to do. I'm keeping the law. I'm being obedient to you. In fact, one commentator, Craig S. Keener, said this. Jewish people considered it pious to thank God for one's righteousness rather than taking credit for it for it oneself the first hearers of this parable would not think of the pharisee as boastful but rather as grateful to God for his piety now again I want us to be uncomfortable with the story so we're not too quick to say well of course that silly old pharisee I would never be anything like that hold on Don't let yourself off the hook too fast. Because if you were standing there listening to Jesus tell this story, you would think, well, what he's saying is completely reasonable. What he's saying is reasonable. He's thanking God that he's not like these liars and these cheaters and these thieves and these immoral people. Of course he's thanking God for that. So let me ask you this question. What would a similar prayer sound like today? We have to get uncomfortable, don't we? If we're going to understand this this story and we're going to apply this story, what would a similar prayer sound like today? Because again, all the things that he's listening in his prayer are good. It's good not to be an extortioner. It's good not to be unjust. It's good not to be a liar or a thief or sexually immoral. So, what might it sound like? How about a prayer that says, God, I thank you that I followed your plan of salvation. I thank you that I've been baptized for the right reasons. I thank you that I go to the right kind of church and I'm here every time the doors are open. Or what about a prayer that says, God, I thank you that I stand up for what's right in the world, that I belong to the right kind of political party, that I'm not like all those atheists and ungodly people in our culture. Or a prayer that says, God, I thank you that I'm tolerant and I'm kind I'm not a racist I'm not prejudiced I'm not like all those religious hypocrites out there is it possible that whether we would say all of those things out loud or not that in our heart is something very very similar to what the Pharisee had in his heart that we look at our life and we say I am pretty good I am pretty good I'm, in fact, I'm not like all of these other people. Thank you, God, that I'm not like all of these other people. I'm doing a pretty great job. Now, remember what Luke says. Here's why Jesus is telling this story. To admonish those who trust in themselves that they are righteous. See, all these things are good. It's good to, it's good to obey God. It's good to worship God the way God wants to be worshipped. It's good not to be a racist. It's good to be kind. All of those things are good. But if you think that you are in a right relationship with God because of what you do or have done, then you are trusting in yourself for righteousness. If you say, I am confident, I am right with God because I whatever whatever comes next whatever comes next you are trusting in yourself because i did this because i did that because i do these sorts of things because i'm this sort of person i'm confident i'm right with god because i and that's the way the pharisee is praying and it made perfect sense to everyone who is listening of course, he would be confident that he was right with God because he, because he's not an extortioner, because he's not unjust, because he's not like the tax collector, because he's not an adulterer. And how many of us, that if someone really asked us, why are you confident that you're right with God? If we said we were confident, we would say, well, because I go to the right church, because I got baptized for the right reasons, because I've done this, because I've done that, because I do these sorts of things. Of things. This is what it is to be someone who trusts in themselves that they are righteous, confident that you stand justified in God's sight because you're doing what you're supposed to do. But, verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Again, put yourself in first century shoes, and you're listening to this story for the first time, and you hear Jesus say this, that the the tax collector is praying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Do, Do you know what they probably thought? What would you think? you'd probably scoff a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like God's going to be merciful to you, buddy. I know what your kind has done. I know what kind of person you are. I know the kinds of things that you've done. I know why you got into this line of work in the first place. I'm glad you feel miserable. I'm glad you're upset. I'm glad you feel wretched. You should feel wretched. You are a wretched person. Don't you know? That if you had been listening to this story, you would think, yeah, yeah, he should feel bad for his sins. He should be weeping. I'm glad he can't look up to heaven. I'm glad he has to beat his breast because he is a sinner and he should feel like a sinner because he's done so many things wrong. Let me ask you this question. Towards what kind of people do you feel a similar contempt? Because this is the second part of what Luke tells us this story is about, isn't it? One is those who trust in themselves that they are righteous, and two are those who treat others with contempt. And so Jesus uses someone in the story that everyone felt contempt for, the tax collector. Of course, everyone feels contempt for this guy. But what about you? What about me? What sort of people do you feel that way about? And you say, of course, they're despicable people. They're horrible people. You'd be shocked if you saw them walk into the church building. What are they doing here? Of course, they should feel miserable. Of course, they shouldn't be able to look up to heaven. Think about all the things that they've done, and you thank God that you're not a person like that. Are there people in your life that you feel this sort of contempt for? really reflect on that question. Again, don't let yourself off the hook too easy. It's really easy to say, I don't, I don't look down on anyone like that. I, I would never have contempt on others like that for anyone. Is that true? Verse 14. Here's the shoe. this man, the tax collector, this man, went down to his house, what church? Justified. Rather than, rather than the other. In other words, and not the other. Huh? What? What? A Pharisee and a tax collector go up to the temple and they both pray and only one of them walks away justified? Okay, so far I'm with you, Jesus, but now you're trying to tell me that it's the tax collector and not the Pharisee who walks away from the temple justified? Jesus says, yes, absolutely it is. It's the tax collector who's justified. It's not the Pharisee. Now again, I don't know which part of this would make someone more uncomfortable. That one, the tax collector was justified, or two, that the Pharisee wasn't. But it better make us uncomfortable, shouldn't it? As good religious people, this ought to make us incredibly uncomfortable. To sit here and say, well, what does this mean for me? Well, Jesus tells us, look at the latter part of verse 14. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Was the Pharisee wrong for doing all of the good religious things he did? Absolutely not. He should have been doing all of those things. He was wrong because he exalted himself. He was wrong because he didn't humble himself. Was the tax collector right for doing what tax collectors do? Absolutely not. He was right for humbling himself. So let me ask you this. How do you exalt yourself? According to this passage, how do you exalt yourself? Well, one, trust in yourself that you are righteous. Be confident that you have done what it takes to stand justified before God. If you do that, then you have exalted yourself. And so many of us have. We pat ourselves on the back and we say, well, of course, I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. I've checked all the things off the list. I'm justified because I have done X, Y, and Z. And I did them for the right reasons, by the way. And that's exalting ourselves. Or to treat others with contempt. Treat others with contempt because they've not done the righteous things you have done. Look down on other people and say, well, of course, none of them are right with God because none of them have done X, Y, and Z and done them for the right reasons. But I have, therefore, I am right with God. And Jesus says, if you exalt yourself, you will be what, church? Humbled. God will humble you. You will not walk away justified when your justification or your confidence for your justification is misplaced if your confidence is in you and in what you've done that you've done all the right things for all the right reasons then you will not be justified before God and that ought to make us very uncomfortable but the flip side of that what do you do or how do you humble yourself how do you humble yourself number one recognize that you are a sinner that's what the Pharisee didn't come before God confessing Father, I've sinned. I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. I've fallen short. I haven't done all the things I was supposed to do, and I haven't done them for the right reasons. I prayed so that people would look at me. I taught so that I could gain a name for myself. I fasted, and I, and I gave so that other people would applaud me and I'm wrong, and I'm sinful, Father, and I need your forgiveness. He didn't go before God confessing those things. He didn't humble himself, and because he didn't humble himself, he wasn't justified. But the tax collector did. He confessed, I am a sinner. Number two, throw yourself at the mercy of God. That's what the tax collector did. He threw himself at the mercy of God. That was his only hope. God Be merciful to me, a sinner. And finally, regardless of their sins, treat no one with contempt. Regardless of their sins, treat no one with contempt because that would be you. That was you. That would still be God. How dare we look down on anybody? The tax collector couldn't look down on anybody. He was already at the bottom of the the ladder. He couldn't look down on anyone. He could barely even look up to God. But that's what we need to do, isn't it? Look up to God and look down on no one. Throw ourselves at the mercy of God. So back to our original question, how can we have confidence Reading the story like this, how can we have confidence that we're justified in God's sight? Well, it's certainly not by exalting ourselves. Our confidence, our confidence has to be in God's mercy. Be confident in God's mercy. See, we have the benefit of hearing this story. When the the tax collector left, did he know he was justified? Did he feel justified? I don't know. Jesus doesn't tell us. But you can. You can know that you're justified. You can be confident in your justification. If your confidence is rightly placed, if your confidence is in God's mercy, not in yourself that you are righteous, but that he is just. That he is kind, that he is loving, that he does the saving. We cannot be the kind of people who put the confidence in ourselves that we've done all the right things for all the right reasons. Nonsense. We haven't. I haven't. I was baptized. But hopefully, I was baptized not because I was putting confidence in my baptism or confidence in my ability to understand all the ins and outs of baptism, but I was baptized because I had confidence in the grace and the mercy of God. That's what baptism is. It's throwing yourself at God's mercy. It's you saying, I know that Jesus died for me to be my atoning sacrifice, so I am throwing myself at your mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And God says, with pleasure. With pleasure. God loves to justify sinners. In fact, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. The the Apostle Paul, the recovering Pharisee himself, says this to his protege Timothy. Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If we can help you to throw yourself at the mercy of God, come now and walk away confident that you are justified because God is merciful. As together we stand and sing.